you're listening to the india chalo podcast where every episode we bring in travelers from all over the world who have journeyed across india and relive their experiences on the show to inspire you our listeners into making the most out of your next trip stay tuned hello everyone namaste and welcome to a brand new episode of the india chalo podcast where each episode we relive the experiences of travelers who have journeyed across india and are here to inspire you our listeners into making the most of your next trip i'm your host rohan thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the show i'm so excited and i can't wait for you to listen to today's guest today i'm speaking with neerthi saxena neerthi is a full time traveler with on his own trip a travel company based in india that organizes amazing amazing tours across the world I highly recommend you check them out. Neeti and I talk about her trip to the Zuku Valley, which is in Nagaland. We talk about how she led a group of travelers there for a trip, about how they bonded together, about the adventures they had together. We also discuss the various sights you get to see when you're there, the breathtaking views of the nature of Zuku Valley. We also talk about how to be responsible travelers, which I think is very important in today's day and age. I let Neeti do the rest of the talking here. And without much further ado, I now bring you Neeti Saxena. Neeti, welcome to the India Chalo podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Hi, Rohan. Even I'm pretty excited to be here. So, what we do on the India Chalo podcast is we have travelers discuss their experiences traveling in India. But before that, why don't you give just a brief introduction of yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? Sure. So, um, I mean, my name is Neeti. By qualification, I'm actually a lawyer, but mm-hmm. I gave up law to pursue my dream of traveling and writing. So, wow. I've been doing that for about a year. Uh, mm-hmm. For a year, I've been leading trips for a brand called On His Own Trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the brand basically does is uh, it takes strangers on trips together. You know, so I think there are a lot of people who are excited about the idea of solo travel or traveling and mm-hmm. meeting new people, but not necessarily can everyone go out and do it on their own. So we're the middle gap. <laughs> I mean, when your friends d- mm-hmm. uh, ditch yeah. you in your plans, and yeah. when you do want to experience something yeah. like you know traveling with new people, meeting all mm-hmm. new people, so that's where we come in. because we take people on trips across india across uh, south asia europe everywhere and yeah like people come as alone and then they leave with a lot of friends that's amazing i think you're living a lot of people daydream about quitting their jobs and traveling you're actually doing it so you yeah. like to inspire a lot of people to do so after listening to you i sure hope so <laughs> so how did you get into travel in the first place what made you excited about travel uh, when was your first trip tell us all, all about that Okay, so uh, in its essence, I think I've been traveling my whole life, and that's because uh, I come from a family that loves traveling, which I'm very lucky to have. Uh, so my father was in the air force, and we'd keep getting posted every couple of years, you know. And uh, while everyone does get posted, people don't necessarily explore places around, but we loved our road trips. To the point that my family even drove down from, say, Hyderabad to Jodhpur over a span of one week. and you know wherever we got posted we would explore the nearby places go visit more uh, regions around that whole area and so that's how i mean i think travel was always a part of my life and uh, even now that i do this professionally i still take a lot of personal trips family trips trips with my friends so yeah travel has always been a very big part of my life that's really inspiring you know and when was your first trip when did you take go on your first trip 
I think I was three years old, uh-huh. and my father was posted in a place called Ambala, and we drew off to uh, Shimla, you know, the hill wow. station, and mm-hmm. I saw my first ever snow uh, snowfall at that time. Wow, so, amazing! Yeah, I was three at the time, and I started taking independent trips when I came to college. When I started traveling mm-hmm. with my friends, and I eventually met the people at On His Own Trip, especially mm-hmm. Neeraj, who's the founder, and then I started traveling with him. That's amazing. So, where are you taking us today? Which uh, place would you like to talk about? Today, I'd like to take you guys to Nagaland because the northeast of India is extremely beautiful, but not as known, especially not Nagaland. So, I thought mm-hmm. I'd take you all to Nagaland. And what made you decide to go there in the first place? So, when I'd gone to Nagaland last year in September, that was I was leading a trip for the brand. So, mm-hmm. I was taking fifteen people on a trek over there. In okay. Yeah, so that's how this trip happened, and uh, I think I enjoyed it just as much as each one of them because of how beautiful the place is. Awesome. So, uh, tell us, how do you go about uh, doing this trip? Where did you start your journey? So we all landed in Dimapur, and mm-hmm. uh, from Dimapur we had, uh, I mean, we traveled by road till Kohima, which is the capital of Nagaland. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Google Maps will tell you it takes only three hours, it can take you about four to five hours because I'll tell you very honestly, the roads are bad. <laughs> so okay. there's a lot of slush on the road. There's a lot of mud. But yeah, so it takes a little while. But we stopped along the way, ate a lot of sugar cane, and made our journey. Tell us a little more about that. Tell us about the sugar cane experience. Okay, so uh, the interesting part is that there's a lot of sugarcane that they sell along the streets and a lot of pineapple also. And the interesting way they sell pineapple is it's cut and it's presented to you as if it's on an ice cream stick. Okay, mm-hmm. so you'll be going along, you'll be driving off, and you'll find these stalls every couple of kilometers where there'll be these uh, women who will be uh, waving these ice cream sticks at you. And we all actually originally stopped because we thought, hey, let's eat ice cream. And then yeah. we realize, oh, it's pineapple. And the best part is they chill it and they serve it to you. So it's as good as having like fresh fruit ice cream. Wow, amazing. And yeah. I'm assuming you went on a shared bus. Is that right? We had actually done taxis because uh-huh. there were 16 of us. So we'd done two taxis. We got two okay. sumos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And lum- dumped all of our luggage on the top. And then it rained all the way. So all mm-hmm. of our luggage got wet. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so tell us, you arrived at your destination. Yes. So we arrived at Kohima. We Mm -hmm. were staying at a beautiful property in Kohima. It's called Razu Pru. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the reason I find it very beautiful is so it's basically an old wooden cottage style home, which has Mm -hmm. now been converted into a hotel or a guest house for people. Okay. So it was basically like a house. There were about eight rooms and there was a drawing room, a dining room, and the entire place was done with a typical Naga style uh, crafts and trade material, you know. So you would find the horn somewhere, you would find the wooden carving somewhere. So it was done in a completely Naga traditional manner. And it just, yeah, and they even had a small fireplace. So after dinner, we would all just huddle up around there. Someone would be sitting on the floor. Someone would just uh, lay down on the couch. So it had more of a homely feeling than a hotel, really. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and we had the whole place to ourselves. So we loved that (laughs) because, yeah, it was completely ours. It was our little home in Nagaland. That sounds like a typical homestay you were saying at, but it was a hotel you mentioned. 
yeah it was a hotel okay. but uh, i yeah. mean a homestay done in a more uh, let's say professional hotel like manner so uh-huh. it's i think a little bit of both <laughs> the best of both nice nice yeah and the best and... is they had this tiny dog called ribbon so uh-huh. anyone who loves a dog would just go mad because a tiny thing comes running and comes to greet you so every day we would go yeah, out I'm or sure. when we went for a yeah. trek and mm-hmm. we came back so it was like we're coming home to ribbon <laughs> so yeah wow that sounds like an exciting hotel slash home so yeah. uh, okay tell us about what did you do there how did you go about your trip Okay so in Kohima we had gone to the war cemetery which is i think a very momentous place to go to because they mm-hmm. have over 10000 soldiers buried there from the allied forces of the second world war Oh, okay so okay. yeah i mean you may have visited a lot of historical places but this i think something that dates back to the world war itself is like quite epic you know because mm-hmm. it's really really old and uh, you'd see people's bodies uh, buried there from multiple countries like uh, britishers french people indians from indians a lot of people from punjab and there are all these plaques over there and so we were walking around and we started reading the plaques and it was heartwarming to see what the families had written to the people they had lost you know uh, i mean you always hear what uh, someone's tombstone might say but to read it is another thing and uh, i particularly remember this one french soldier's uh, to, um, plaque which read uh, we will wait for you till you come back home to us and i think that was just it made all of us a little emotional because you know we realized that this place has seen so much history uh-huh i think it's all it also transports you back in a way to that place and that era so i think that must Absolutely. have been a special experience yes now you know and then uh, we all started reading up about the history and sharing a little bit of knowledge about the war and what had happened and that in itself is a very i think humbling experience more than anything mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i agree yeah so where did you go off next what okay, else is there so to do so from uh, so this was the war cemetery in kohima itself then we headed off to konoma Konoma mm-hmm. is a heritage village and they hold a lot of great pride for being the first ever green village in India. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I'll explain what they mean by them being a green village. Uh, they are basically a village that targets itself to maintain and conserve the environment and wildlife that they have. So for instance, if you walk around Konoma, you'll see a lot of orchids, you'll see cane, you'll see wild mushrooms, a number of flowers that you and I will probably not even know about uh-huh. until uh-huh. and unless we ask the locals. But uh, they're really serious about maintaining uh, all of the wildlife over there and preserving it. And uh, Konoma again has a lot of rich history because in the 1930s to about the 1980s, the Angami tribe of Konoma had fought off the british for the longest time and that is why if you hear about naga history or read about naga history you'll always hear about how brave they are because they actually successfully fought off the british for a number of decades before they called for a truce and mm-hmm. uh, they they held a lot of pride that you know we will not give our land to any foreigner so they again have a lot of history and especially i mean i think the best part about nagaland that anyone visiting nagaland has to know about is the tribes Nagaland mm-hmm. is known to have a number of tribes in fact 
in the earlier years they used to have about 20 tribes and sub tribes within those 20 tribes and uh, even today about 16 of those tribes exist and a number of these tribes used to be head hunting tribes you know they would in uh-huh. war they would chop off the head of their enemy and they would actually bring back that head and hang it over in their own village as a shine wow. as a sign okay. of victory yeah okay so in konama village you could just be lucky enough to see some of the ancestors there are very few of them but some people who are about 89 or uh, even above 90 years old lived there who used to be part of the head hunting tribe while it was still legal I and mean, the government banned it in 1950s but there are very few of those people who are still alive and you can see them and recognize them because they have these distinctive face tattoos and they wear animal horns in their ears like wow. earrings and okay. jewelry okay. yes so they're very distinctly visible and i think it's just a, uh, such a rich taste of culture that you get over there that you know i'm mean, hearing the stories from the locals is something else altogether That's really exciting. You mentioned uh, something about the locals telling you stories and you coming across these tribes. Did yes. you did the locals help <laughs> you with this experience with the tribes or did you do that research on your own? So, uh I did a little research on my own, but I as a traveler always have a habit of interacting and talking a lot to locals mm-hmm. and because but without that I think your experience is lost, you know. There's a difference between saying that you saw a place and saying that you experienced a place. Right. And right. I think the latter can only happen if you actually interact with the locals. So I have a major habit that even if we're in a cab or a bus, I'll talk to the drivers, mm-hmm. I'll talk to the hotel people. So I was very friendly with the driver when we went and then I told him that you know I want like a different experience. I don't just want to walk around and see and click pictures. I want to learn mm-hmm. a little more. So he yeah. said, "Okay, I'll call a friend of mine." who is a guide but i'll tell him to take you guys around properly you know he said uh-huh. uh, and even when like his friend came he said how much time do you have one or two i said we'll spend the whole day <laughs> but i want you to show us everything that you possibly uh-huh. can and he was he was very very sweet you know and he uh, took us around told us a lot about the tribes and we saw an old tribal person also and it was i mean amazing and he even took us to these different places so for instance they have a tradition in uh, naga culture there are these huts where young boys are uh, taught principles and norms that are important for them to become into strong men you know mm-hmm. be it uh, the concept of waking up early be it uh, cooking on their own in the earlier years hunting which is of course banned now but even things like their physical fitness or morals that the tribe stands the tribe stands by the things they should stand together for as a community so uh-huh. he took us to one of those huts you know where those young boys live in the conditions they live in and the sort of discipline they have to go through but uh, you know when we were asking him so i think a great part about travel is you get to learn a lot about perspective because right. to right. a lot of us while it may sound very hard the discipline aspect of it or the fact that you're cut off from your family and need to live in such a place he actually told us that when he himself lived in that hut uh, as a young boy he used to love it and when i asked him why he told me he's like there was a sense of competition between all of mm-hmm. us you know there was a sense of pride because we all wanted to be the best and we would all get to hear our tribal stories by the elders every evening because every evening they would assemble around the fire and share stories over a cup of tea and he's like we used to all look forward to that he's like so even when i was sent off home i would actually be waiting to come back okay and interesting I think, yeah and i think that perspective is like really great to learn about 
Yeah, I think it's also we are so involved in our daily lives. We get so busy that we forget to see this perspective. It's different side to things to life. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear. Yeah. And uh, where else would you take us to in Nagaland? Okay, so now I'll take you guys to my favorite place in Nagaland, which is called the Zuku Valley, which mm-hmm. is the famous trek of Nagaland. And all the Zuku Valley is still not as popular with Indians. You'll be surprised to know the number of Europeans that actually come down to Zuku because of how beautiful it is. And when I say beautiful, I'm sure that a lot of people will tell you that a number of treks are beautiful, but the terrain that you get to see in Zuku is incomparable. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare. It's very different and that's because while in most treks you'll see rugged mountains or rocky mountains, you know, Zuku Mm -hmm. has what they call rolling hills. Okay, so imagine if a hill is circular in structure and imagine your eyes filled with as many hills as you can see and they're all circular in their structure as if it's a dome, you know, imagine a natural dome. Interesting. Yes, there are these green rolling hills for as Uh far as you can see. So okay. the trek, uh, for the trek, we started off from Jakama, which is a village about 20 kilometers from Kohima. And mm-hmm. from Jakama, we started a trek. Uh, I think it's just about the first uh, 45 minutes or so that is a little uh, strenuous for people because it's a little steep and the rocks are very narrow. But mm-hmm. after you crack this first 45 minutes, it's essentially a flat walk. I mean, you won't even feel like it's a challenging trek. It's pretty easy after that. And you okay. just keep walking through these narrow uh, muddy paths. Okay, and you have trees drooping over you throughout the whole trek itself. And yeah, and that's how you make your way to the Zuku Valley top. And uh, when you reach the top, you have two options for your stay. One is to stay in the guest house. And when I say guest house, don't imagine a bed, a mattress, a room to yourself uh-huh. in a washroom uh-huh. because it's yeah. none of that. It's basically a huge hall. They have some mattresses and you get to sleep on the floor with that thin little mattress. And there'll uh-huh. be about as many people possible inside that hall. Or the okay. other alternative, which we had gone for, is to get tents. So we were about two people per tent and we had got a lot of te- uh, and we got tents pitched and we stayed in the tents. And the other interesting part is so Zuku is something that I would recommend to hardcore nature lovers. It is uh-huh. not for anyone who would like a little bit of luxury when they're traveling because it doesn't have luxury to offer. It has just raw beauty to offer. Okay, So at the top, there is no electricity. There uh-huh. is no plug points or nothing. There is, I mean, the guest house that I told you, the hall. And attached to that is a small kitchen where there are two caretakers who cook for you, who prepare everything for you, okay? And there are just these simple, absolutely broken washrooms that you have to make peace with, and that's it. So by the end of the first night itself, we stayed there for three days, and by the end of the first night, everyone's phones got switched off, the cameras Uh got lost all their battery, and I think that's where the fun actually began. Because, you know, now people were playing Uno cards with headlamps. Wow, (laughs) okay. Yeah, and torches were being used to give each other dares and truth or dare. And I think that's when the games and the interaction got a lot of fun because it was pitch dark, pitch black. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. were all still staying up about till 2 or 3 a.m. per night just to, like, you know, spend time with each other. That's awesome. I think that's the perfect getaway from technology and the... Hustle bustle of daily lives. So yeah. that sounds very exciting. Yeah. So how long did it take to reach the top? It took us about uh, four hours. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, you can take anything between four to six hours. I suggest you go about it leisurely. You'll cross a stream in between, and of course, uh, people end up taking a lot of pictures. We stopped in between, had a little picnic, ate our lunch, then moved ahead. <laughs> so you know, you should go about it at your own pace and make it comfortable because there are a lot of people who actually do the trek. I mean, the locals itself because they find it that easy. They do it in a single day. Um, you can go up and return back on the same day but that is not something that i would recommend to people because i think then you don't get to experience the place properly you know yeah. you should do it slow and nice and easy and then it will feel like a vacation and then it will feel like oh you've been in the hills that sounds uh, breathtaking just hearing it so i'm excited <laughs> to see it in person you now <laughs> uh, what else did you do up there you said you spent 3 days on the yes. top what else yes. is there to do So day two we went down to explore the valley. So day one we just reached Zuku itself, like the top. Mm-hmm. And so that's imagine if the reaching the top happens from the left side. On the right hand side is where the valley starts down below. So uh-huh. on the second day, that's what we did. We went down to the valley. There were a number of streams that we crossed, and then so above the stream they had this very narrow. wooden planks that one had to walk on to in order to cross the stream without drenching themselves and while one of our friends was walking on back someone pushed him and uh, once he fell then you know what follows like everyone uh-huh. got in the water <laughs> so okay. in the beginning there were a lot of people who were like oh we are not getting drenched oh it's so cold but uh, i started dragging people i had another friend them she also started dragging people uh-huh. and before we knew it all of us were in the water and we had a water fight and the locals were so amused the guides who were accompanying us uh you know so they were like okay we'll make your videos and pictures you guys just have fun <laughs> because uh, i mean people were laying in the water people were splashing in the water uh-huh. i think we spent about one or two hours just drenched in the water uh, playing That's with awesome. each other yeah, yeah. and uh, all sorts of like i mean there was dancing happening in the water there was uh-huh. all sorts of slow motion videos being made and people uh-huh. were being dunked and this yeah. poor boy okay who just came in for 2 minutes and he seriously mm-hmm. just stepped out that okay guys now i'm going and when he least suspected it all of us got him that <laughs> and threw even more water at him <laughs> because come on i mean you know that's not fair <laughs> so that happened and thereafter we so the rest of the day we were roaming around benched and uh-huh. then no one cared that okay we'll fall sick and whatever will happen we were like okay fine whatever we'll just see we'll have fun together we'll figure it out yeah and, absolutely uh, yeah. after the streams we actually went to this cave which they said is a couple of centuries old so mm-hmm. we had two brilliant local guides with us avi and ato they were very helpful very friendly and very funny also <laughs> and okay. they took us to the cave and when we reached the cave uh, while all of us were sitting and just gazing at the cave before we knew it we saw them below in the stream and then mm-hmm. they had also started splashing around and we were like wow <laughs> now they are also having fun exciting yeah <laughs> So this was day two when we explored the streams. We and so after the streams, there's also one place where you go to the top, and there's this really, really huge Christian cross made out of uh-huh. wood at the top of this hill. And it's believed to have been left there years ago by travelers who believed in Christianity. And Nagaland, as a state, practices a lot of Christianity, so that doesn't come as a surprise. But uh, I mean, in a place that's completely just dissolved in nature, it's very rare to see any sort of structures there. 
So that also makes for an interesting watch to just reach at the top and just see that. And uh, over there, they also, I mean, have, a, you'll be surprised, but they have a small strip, which is often, uh, not often, but which is at times used as a landing pad where helicopters can land. Uh, okay. So, yeah, but this is not something that is done often, but it's just that the place is so cut off that in case of an emergency or in case of a VIP visit, they may have to bring in a helicopter. And so there is a strip for that where actually we instead went and just lay down on the grass and just gazed up at the sky and the whole backdrop around us. Sounds like a lot of fun being in groups and interacting with locals in that way. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, with the locals also, the experience was just uh, brilliant. Like some Uh of the most amazing stories, I think, of my life come from those interactions. Very exciting. Very exciting to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) And what about the final day? What did you do then? Okay, so the final day we had to return, but uh, why don't I tell you a little about the final night before the return? Sure, yeah. So uh, that night, I mean, we were all huddled around the bonfire and this was a very active group of people that I had met. And uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I meet strangers all the time and it's a lot of fun to, you know, make people comfortable with each other, make people interact with each other. I've seen all sorts of people on trips. I mean, sometimes they'll be really shy and they'll be introverts and they don't know how to open up. But it's amazing to, you know, encourage people a little by little, be it through games or conversations to just get them to try and open up to everyone. And by the last night, everyone was really so tight that uh, we were all huddled around the bonfire and we were singing songs for God knows how many hours. And around that time, I had gone to talk to the guides about something. And then I told all of them to also come join us at the bonfire. And Mm -hmm. uh, four of them came, they joined us uh, and we all sat around the bonfire. And while we were singing songs, they weren't. So we were all after them to sing a song for us in the local language. And uh, they were very shy, but they eventually sang. And by that point, all of us really wanted that we should all sing one song together. Uh-huh. And But now the issue is in Nagaland, there's a lot of uh, language barrier, you know, and they don't really know Hindi at all. They can speak a little bit English. And now to find a language that, I mean, to find a song that all of us knew was going to be a task. So eventually, one of the caretakers from the guest house said, why don't we just sing the national anthem? Mm-hmm. And uh, because that was one thing that all of us knew. So imagine that at 1 a.m. on top of a hill around a bonfire, about uh, 20 strangers, uh, 16 people who were on the trip with me, and the four caretakers from the guest house, we were all singing the national anthem at 1 a.m. at night in a hill wow. in Nagaland. Yeah. That must be an unusual experience. Very unusual. Very, very unusual. And I mean, more than just singing the national anthem, the fact is that for them to think that, okay, let us share this common experience. Let us have this moment with each other, you know. And to go out of the box and think of something that we can just do together or share together. That was very heartwarming, you know, because they also wanted to make that moment with us as we did with them. So it wasn't just about singing the national anthem and what it signified. It was about the fact that all of us wanted to be there and to share that whole experience with each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, which was brilliant. So that was the night. And then the next morning, uh, I woke up at 5 a.m. even after sleeping at, say, 2.33 because I had heard so much about the sunrise in Zuku. And I was determined that I'm going to see it and I'm going to make my entire group see it because I'd heard such brilliant things. 
and uh-huh. the moment i got up at 5 i just started yelling and knocking on everyone's uh, tents that uh-huh. come out come out come out and yeah. of course people people were not happy at first <laughs> but uh, when they did come out everyone was happy because oh my god so i think that's one of the most amazing sunrises i've ever seen Now imagine I told you about the green rolling hills, right? Uh-huh. So yeah. uh, we were perched a little high. So uh, near the campsite, okay, they have this uh, wooden ridge. It's made of a uh, made up of a couple of branches. It's mm-hmm. like a small uh, picnic spot or whatever you want to call it. And so we were all perched on that wooden ridge, and we were looking down below. And now the green hills were below us, okay, because we had trekked. up right the campsite was higher up so the green hills are all below and the sunrise looked a little like a sea of clouds forming below us and the clouds were so thick and so white that the green hills actually disappeared i mean for a while we could not see the hills at all it was all white below us and wow. we were all astonished because i mean you're used to seeing clouds above you and for the first right. time it felt like clouds are below you you know and it just i mean it was like this thick mist all around us and then the sunrise started happening and it was just pink and orange and so slight and it was as if the sun was rising from between the sea of clouds below us so that's beautiful that's beautiful yeah, one of the most beautiful sunrises i've ever seen and i'm determined to go back to zuku again and again just for that because it was so beautiful absolutely i think all our listeners will be inspired to follow your queue and join you on trip if, if that's what's so <laughs> i'll take them to zuku and make them have a, a gala time <laughs> definitely so how many days would you recommend uh, setting aside for this trip you mentioned 3 days for the trek and 3 yes. days what else yeah one day to go to konoma and spend in konoma and one day to do i think just uh, the day you reach itself you know uh, to just explore around kohima itself like we'd gone to the war cemetery you can walk around the town and just get to know each other a little bit because i mean in my personal opinion i don't think a trip should be rushed up you know it yeah, shouldn't definitely. be about those tick marks on your list that oh i saw this i saw this it should be a little about taking it easy interacting with each other having fun with each other you know so i what we do is we organize a five day trip and i think that's a good amount of healthy time to have in that place that's good and so the, uh, it's a different thing that none of us wanted to leave on the last day uh-huh. but, yeah absolutely uh, yeah. yeah i mean a lot of people actually started considering rescheduling their flights and i mean that's happened a lot of wow. times in the okay. trips yeah okay. so we all actually started checking that oh let's reschedule our flights and we called up the airlines that can we do this can we do that but unfortunately i myself had to be in kasol two days afterwards so oh, i could okay. only extend okay. by one day so that was uh-huh. disappointing but a couple of us did more trips in the future after that so hey we made up for it <laughs> that's amazing i think you form such interesting connections through travel that comes yeah. difficult to shake it off so yeah yeah some of my closest friends have come from these trips you know so i completely believe that yeah and uh, for our uh, listeners who are budget travelers uh, mm-hmm. what amount would you recommend keeping aside for a trip like this mm-hmm. Trip like this, uh, I mean, if you cut down on your basics, you know, you can do it in about eighteen uh, to twenty k. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're spending five days, I think that's a pretty decent amount to do this trip in. 
because uh, 18 to 20k over a span of five days is uh, i mean and that i'm talking about you can do it with your accommodation your trek and everything and uh, yeah so pretty doable fair enough i think that's a budget trip for sure yeah yeah now yeah for as a trip leader uh, what advice would you give to travelers or travelers just visiting nagaland uh, some uh, basic safety advice or any travel tips you'd like to impart yes Okay, so one thing that is very important for people to know is that uh, so a lot of places in the northeast when you're traveling, you need to get permissions done. So, for instance, mm-hmm. Nagaland requires you to get your inline permits done. Uh, of course, when I take a group, so we take uh, care of it completely for the people, and they just have to send their ID cards to us, and we take charge of it. If you're traveling with us, it will be taken care of. If you're going independently, make sure that you have your inline permits before you reach, because that is very important. The police can check you for that at any point of time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And one more thing, which uh, I think uh, people should look out for is, and I think this is a brilliant part, part about Zuku. So, Zuku is extremely, extremely clean. Okay, you will not see litter strewn around. You will not see mm-hmm. garbage and things litter, uh, littered around. And that is because they are very strict about finding people there. So, okay. make sure you carry a garbage bag. And that is not something that I recommend to people just for Zuku. But in general, if you're checking anywhere, you should. always carry a garbage bag you know so that uh, whatever trash you have you can put it in the garbage bag and a lot of times we collect even the little bit of garbage that we see around in the area and bring it down because i think i just believe that if you're going to a place because it's beautiful you should leave it just as beautiful as you found it you know so i would recommend carrying a garbage bag also and uh, the other thing that people should know if they're going to nagaland is about the food okay now mm. it is a delicious delicious treat for non vegetarians but it can uh-huh. be a task for vegetarians because they don't really eat a lot of veg food there so okay. if you're a vegetarian and you're traveling to nagaland and especially to zuku then i would recommend that you carry uh, some instant food packages or maggi and all of those remedies so that you don't struggle a lot with your food that's interesting i think that's also very helpful for people with selective food habits Yeah and uh, non vegetarians i mean i would like them to know that oh they're going to have the best kind of food over there so uh, uh-huh. in nagaland they eat a lot of pork okay and uh, while i've eaten pork in a lot of places not just in india but in different countries in southeast asia also but i think the best pork i have ever had in my life was on top of that trek in that little guest house in zuku valley because uh-huh. the way they make it and it's really spicy so if you know uh, nagaland has some amazing spices in fact the chilies from nagaland are supposed to be like the one of the, some of the most spiciest chilies found across india so uh-huh. the use of spices i mean maybe by the end of it you will just be sniffing because it is that spicy but trust me it is so yummy like you will love it. like you will not get enough of the food there that's really delicious just to hear it i think i can't <laughs> wait to go and try it out yeah yes you must <laughs> i also wanted to point out that it's important for people to maintain the place clean not not just for the locals but also for tourists who are coming after you absolutely. so it's really important to keep it clean absolutely and uh, during your time there how many was it were there too many tourists there or uh, did you find more locals and tourists how's the Uh, how was the crowd when you went there 
more locals for sure i think the best part about nagaland right now is that it's not as explored so the beauty is still intact and it's not one of those places where you head and you know there's so many people and it's so crowded that everyone is bumping their shoulders against each other or you know making struggle to like spot anything so the best part was wherever we went it was essentially just us the trek way where we went i mean there were 16 of us and there were i think about eight other people who would come independent or from different people different places uh-huh. but not a lot of people that you would see otherwise in fact when we went to konoma it was just us roaming around that day so i think nagaland is a i mean if your idea of a trip is a break from the busyness or from the crowds then i think nagaland is a great place to begin with that's amazing and what time did you what time of the year did you visit So we had gone in September, and that's where we could experience all the mist and the clouds, which mm-hmm. was amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so a uh, good time to go to Nagaland would be anything between May to September. In July, they have a lot of flowers blooming, but in July, my concern would be that if there's rainfall, then it makes your trek a little tricky. So uh, May is a good time. Avoid the rainfall, and then again, August and September are great. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Now, Neeti, I know we are recording this in the middle of a lockdown, but <laughs> I want to give our listeners something to look forward to. So, For when's sure. your next trip, and where are you planning to go next? So, in July, I'm hoping. I mean, I had a lot of trips scheduled from April to June as well, which of course had to be stalled because of everything that's going on. But in July, I'm hoping, hoping things are fine and things are happening, moving smoothly. In July, I'm leading a trek. to the valley of flowers in uttarakhand which wow, is again okay. very very beautiful uh, yeah. valley of flowers has i think more species of flowers than you and i can even count mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah so we're going to the valley of flowers we're going to the hemkund sahib gurudwara which is one of the highest gurudwaras across the world it is uh-huh. at 15000 feet and wow. uh, okay. next to the gurudwara there is this glacial lake called the hemkund sahib lake itself So mm-hmm. it's a pristine blue glacial lake at fifteen thousand feet. It's it's incredible. I'm so excited. I can't tell you. <laughs> I just hope that the lockdown is over by then. Yeah, I'm just exciting at uh, hearing about it from you. So <laughs> it's definitely worth exploring. Yes, so Neeti, sure. where can where can listeners keep up with your adventures? So I have an Instagram account by the name of Migrant Musings. So mm-hmm. it would be great if people can check it out because I share my travel experiences, I share my stories a lot, and I love interacting with more people even through this medium. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll link your account in the show notes below. Okay. And thank you so much, Neeti, for coming on the show. It was really a treat uh, listening to you talk about your adventures, and Thanks. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be inspired just by hearing you. Thanks for having me, Rohan. It was great doing this, and especially like you said, the lockdown is going. Uh, so otherwise, our weekends look a little different. But this was a fun thing to do. Uh, you know, this weekend it made uh, me have a lot of fun, and I hope you did too. Like I Absolutely really enjoyed it, <laughs> and I look forward to joining a trip with you sometime. So for definitely. sure, you should, and then we'll share the story together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That'll be a fun episode. Yes, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you so much, Neeti. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed my conversation with Neeti and want to listen to more episodes from the show, do subscribe to our channel. We are on Spotify, Castbox, iTunes, or wherever else you listen to the show. We'd also love to get to know you better, get to know your experiences, 
your journeys your stories from your trips across india so do give us a shout out on instagram we are at india chalo on instagram you can also follow us there for regular updates on future episodes stay tuned